Good morning and welcome to Monday in Manhattan. This is our weekly broadcast from City Administration to keep you in the loop. You can find out more about local government at the city's website, cityofmhk.com. Without further ado, it is my distinct pleasure to introduce to you today Mr. Ron Fear. Ron began his work with the city in January of 1982 as the Parks and Forestry Supervisor and was promoted in 1984 to Parks and Recreation Administrative Superintendent. In 1986, Ron was promoted to the Assistant Director of Parks and Recreation and became Assistant City Manager in December of 1992. He served as the Acting City Manager from April of 1995 through November of 1995, and then again in December of 1999 through April of 2000. Served as the Acting uh, Director of Human Resources for several months in 97, and also served as the Acting Director of Utilities for several months in 98, and again in 1999. Following a national search, Ron was named Manhattan's eighth City Manager on April 17th of 2000. As City Manager, Ron is responsible for the overall operations of the city, implementation of the policies of the City Commission. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Ron Fear. Good afternoon. Thank you for that in, in introduction, Brett. We appreciate that. I want to thank all of you for everything that you do to keep this community going great and all the contributions you make to make the community in the region thrive. I want to talk a little bit today just about kind of some of the things that uh, we've been doing in 2019 that were some challenges and results. So this winter's already been much better than last winter. Uh, we haven't had as near as many freeze thaw cycle, not near as much moisture, and not near as many potholes. You know, uh, you know, a year ago, you know, 8,000 potholes was a huge number in a season. Well, we, we smashed a record and decided we'd have 36,000, you know, by the end of the winter. So uh, we're doing a lot better already. And, and we've got uh, our local chilling asphalt company that's uh, made us up a new cold patch mix that we can, we don't have to sit out there with a torch and dry the hole out. We can just dump it in there with water and everything. And it, and it holds and doesn't pop out after the next storm comes along. So it's it's been much better winter already, but it really, socked us. So then uh, after winter, April uh, came along and uh, we st it started raining, you know, and it ended up being our third wettest season ever uh, and reminded us of uh, maybe some things in 1993. And that uh, wasn't a good memory because, you know, the folks, uh, when, when we had the flood in 93, I was the assistant city manager and they promised me that was only a once in a career event. And uh, then somebody said, well, you were assistant city manager then, now you're city manager, so it's a different career. Uh, I said, okay. So uh, that was a big effort uh, by a lot of folks. We had some uh, amazing intergovernmental and interorganizational cooperation that responded to that almost near tragedy, uh, inches away from those gates, uh, which uh, I know a lot of you uh, uh, we're monitoring. Uh, many of you know Rob Ott, our city engineer, and if ever I wanted to know what level we were at, he, he'd whip it off just like that. So uh, it was a, a, a great effort to educate folks. And, uh, you know, one of the things in 93 that was interesting was uh, we didn't have a lot of topo maps because the gates had never been used and opened at Tuttle Creek, so we didn't know what the effect would be. And so 
we actually had crews that were measuring the rise from each different elevation change to kind of gauge on how we were going to notify folks to whether they needed to evacuate or not. And so technology is wonderful, Brent, because this time we, we ran 42 different scenario models on, on the systems and created these uh, components that gave us uh, really good uh, data that we could uh, interpret uh, where things might end up. And fortunately, uh, we didn't have to do, use that too much. Uh, we've had numerous pavement rehab projects that took longer because it was uh, such a wet year, North Manhattan being a, a big component of that. Uh, Kimball Avenue, I'll talk about some of those other ones. Uh, we talked about, uh, we established the Aggieville Tax Increment Financing District. Uh, the North, we worked on the North Campus Corridor. Uh, we did a community survey. We established the Community Improvement District at the mall so they could start doing major renovations there. Uh, we established uh, the Lee Mill Village Affordable Senior Housing Project. That was a property we bought at a tax sale. And so trying to get that back on the tax roll. So we thought that was good. And we had a lot of discussions about the new Uniform Development Ordinance, which is a combination of our subdivision regs and our uh, zoning regulations. Okay, hit the wrong button, sorry about that. So this is uh, just a, a, a picture of uh, some of the development that's happened kind of over the last, uh, since 2015 through 2019. Uh, the, the open circles, uh, the bigger open circles indicate uh, the magnitude of the level of investment. So the big open circles are basically uh, 5 million and above and goes down from there. And so this is the investment that, that folks are making in our community. Uh, the different colors represent uh, red is office, blue is hotel, green is restaurants, purple are stores, and yellow is industrial. The smaller dots, the solid dots, uh, represent alterations and additions. So lots of investment that's occurring in lots of different places in our community. All told, uh, almost 200 million in investment uh, in that five-year period uh, all over our community. So. Uh, that's an important component that uh, shows that we're still uh, uh, investing in our community and then taking advantage of opportunities that we have. This is just uh, kind of little new housing units that were permitted. You can see that uh, uh, we had that big bump in 2016. That's the uh, uh, links, 600 units that uh, went out on East Marlette. Uh, things have calmed down a little bit since then, and our single family, which is in the blue, uh, has been declining uh, ever since about 2014. Uh, but we're back up. This last year, we did 145 units total uh, compared to 79 last year. This is just a picture of uh, some of the challenges we had this year with some of the water and the flooding. Uh, we had a couple, you know, these things happen at the craziest times. Uh, both of our five inch rains that we had this year with lots of flash flooding. Well, the first one happened on the July 4th weekend. The second one happened on the Labor Day weekend again. That was after we had the Labor Day big event on Wildcat in 2018 that we're still working on. So, uh, you know, and, and there's a lot of people that take time off and go on vacation then. So it's, it's kind of challenging to get uh, crews mobilized to respond to some of those things. But uh, uh, lower right-hand corner on the right side, those uh, are, are a couple of the sinkholes that uh, happened. Uh, 
the first one didn't look like it was going to be much. That top right-hand side, uh, that's there at Staples and Walmart in the out parking lot. Uh, that one we're hoping to get finished back up uh, at the end of the month and back open. So that's going to be about uh, close to a million-dollar sinkhole. There's a 36-inch sewer main. That is our primary sewer main that carries uh, sanitary sewer. The, it, the 36 starts to go down up around Marlette. Um, and so we completely had to replace uh, several hundred feet of that uh, that collapsed. And so uh, we had to bypass pump. And the biggest problem we had was the that that pipe's 20 feet deep. And we had to dewater because the water table was so high. And we had to put three wells, dewatering wells on that in order to uh, get the crews down in there to, to help us fix that. Those lower pictures on the left, those were, uh, uh, we had a, a water main break and some other surge and that's the Bertrand box. So there's a storm box that flows underneath the street and the streets actually serves as the top of the box. Well, that blew out. And so our crews put that back together after that uh, particular storm. And then that upper middle one is the other sinkhole that was out on Hayes by the UPS store. This is just a picture of the 93 flood uh, that showed, uh, this is looking, uh, the, the bottom middle is, uh, was Dick Edwards Ford, it's Flint Hills Ford now. So uh, that, it was an island. They moved all the cars to the stadium uh, out of those areas and there was a lot of damage, but it shows the, the levee line there along the Blue River and on the dry side of the levee. This, uh, one of the things we found out after the 93 flood was that the section of the levee along the Blue River uh, didn't meet the uh, protection expectations that uh, the manual said it was, should have. So we started an exercise to try to find funding from the Corps of Engineers and the federal government to, to try to fix that. And we've, we've finally gotten funding for that a couple of years ago and we've been designing ever since. Uh, the good news is that uh, uh, well, it's good and bad news, I guess. The, the, the core, uh, Kansas City District Office, who we work with, were kind of busy this last year, too. Their, their emergency operations center was open, I think, from March through about the 12th of December uh, because of flooding on the Missouri River. So they're designing the project, and so they've informed us that uh, they're not going to initiate that bidding process till uh, about uh, early summer next year, April maybe at the early. But essentially what we're gonna do along that Blue River section is uh, increase the height of the levee by an average of two feet. So that kind of is what that picture's de depicting. And then also uh, we have some other improvements. We're gonna do a makeover of the whole levee. So that levee was built in the, in the 50s, uh, after the 51 flood and 60. And so we're replacing all of the gates and all of the major components of the levee system. So it's gonna be a, a really good project for us. The street sales tax that was passed uh, back in 2016 has been uh, a great thing. Uh, actually, we could use a few more of that. We could double that and we, we still uh, uh, would be challenged to fix the messes that are out there. Uh, these free thaw cycles that we have and really take a toll on, on a lot of our streets. Uh, our pavement condition index ratings continue to decline and our hope is we can get them back up. Uh, we had originally about $2 million a year to invest uh, in street maintenance, and this two-tenths sales tax doubled that, so, so $4 million, and uh, we're continuing to, to really try to focus on that. We use uh, in-house crews to do some of the work, but mostly we use contractors to, 
help us with that. This next uh, series is the, the top pictures are pictures of North Manhattan Avenue, uh, which was uh, closed a lot longer than K-State wanted us to be. Uh, we didn't get that summer project done like we had the previous summer when we did the other phase from Kimball to Research Park. So uh, we did get it opened up. Uh, we also had uh, work out on Kimball, uh, three different places on Kimball last year. We'll have three again this year, unfortunately, uh, for some of some folks, but we're making great improvements to a lot of the process. The Probably one of the most interesting and unique projects was the two lower right pictures that showed the Juliet Avenue brick uh, project where we rebuilt Juliet Avenue now between Points and Bluemont. And so that full stretch there have rebuilt that entire, we got some historic grants to be able to do that. And the kids at Woodrow Wilson came out and learned to trade that, that particular day and helped the contractor to see what it's like to, to build brick streets. Just want to mention that we're continuing to invest in our, our utility infrastructure. So a lot of pictures here of our water treatment plant, as well as uh, some of our infrastructure, new wells uh, to provide raw water into the plant. Uh, we've modernized that plant, uh, the digital versus uh, gauges and graphs that uh, used to run that facility. And then we're working hard to replace some of the uh, older lines, upgrading some of the size of those lines so the fire flows will be better, uh, and replacing a lot of valves. That's what that upper, uh, upper right hand depicts, uh, uh, old valves that stick and, and cause breaks, and that's what the lower right is. So there's a lot of those uh, challenges. Likewise, at our wastewater treatment plant facility, uh, making improvements there, again, modernization, all of them responding to more regulations that we have to meet for drinking water and clean water we put back into the river. Uh, you know, it's amazing we were able to handle the high loads and volumes that uh, came through the wastewater plant from all the, the flows that we had this year. The two pictures on the far right is a, is a fiberglass lining that we put into existing sanitary sewer lines that pretty much makes them like new, don't have to dig them up, you just, uh, pour this sock in, heat it, put hot water in to set it up against the old clay pipe, plugs all the holes and runs like new. So it's a really neat technology and we've been doing that now for about 20 years. One of the other things that's been going on uh, is uh, looking out at uh, Blue Township and Green Valley area. So the Potawatomi County Commission uh, sponsored a governance plan it was kind of a cursory look of some different options, whether annexation, incorporation, or other special districts that might occur there. Uh, we took that uh, one step further and we hired Tickler Weiss. They're a, a leading expert in the country that uh, really looks at uh, uh, economic analysis and fiscal and cost of growth. And they're and down at about task five, it's down the middle on that right side, looking at that fiscal model. They'll be bringing that back and preparing an initial report on feasibility of uh, uh, annexation or not. Uh, that'll go to the city commission and they'll talk about it. And there'll be some public meetings relative to that and then a decision to whether or not to proceed to phase two, which would actually be a very detailed extension of services plan that would have to be done that has to meet statute. Here in the Manhattan Conference Center, we're uh, expanding it by uh, about 14,000 feet, and that's gonna be a big help, about $5 million uh, 
uh, we um, increased the Transient Guest Act by a half percent to, to help fund that. And uh, we're looking forward to that, uh, uh, keeping us in the game for uh, conferences around the state. People like to come to Manhattan. We're one of the most walkable conference facilities in the state to be able to go downtown, to the mall, wherever, uh, and enjoy it. Uh, and we're proud of that. We want to try and keep that edge if we can uh, by the facility, but also it really helps us to be able to expand the offerings, uh, multiple meetings in this, this facility, as well as uh, more exhibit space. That kind of just shows you some of that layout. Sorry, I didn't click that in time. And that's a view uh, from 4th Street uh, when it's all said and done. Commission also took uh, investment uh, in the community house, so a historic structure on the National Register of Historic Places. The goal here was to preserve the facility, but uh, maybe let somebody else have a shot at uh, improving it. And so we're pleased to work with Switchgrass Development, and they're proposing uh, uh, a makeover of that facility and renovation. Uh, two historic standards that uh, will be a mixed use of office, uh, residential, and some meeting and gathering space. So we're excited to see that happen this year. Fly MHK, another record year. Way to go, Jesse. Uh, this was uh, some uh, exciting news. It's just been phenomenal. Uh, over uh, 77,500 passengers on just the commercial side. We think that number will go over 80 pretty easy when we get uh, all of the charters and uh, all of that activity added to that. So thank you all uh, for flying and, and looking at MHK and your travel arrangements. I know sometimes it, it doesn't uh, uh, fit with your where you're going, but uh, we're, we're proud and, and we're pleased that the airline has responded uh, with some larger aircraft and, and more flights. I think the most we had in the holiday season was maybe seven flights, nine flights on one day. Normally we have five. So uh, they've been good about uh, picking up the pace and, and doing things as, as well. So we're pleased with that. Some things to, to look at there. We celebrated uh, uh, American providing service here. Uh, this is the 10th anniversary uh, season. So there's still some, some nice uh, opportunities to enter some of the contests for so some uh, free flights and other things uh, for that. So that was great. And then uh, Bandit Coffee opened up uh, an eatery inside the uh, screened area, but they'll deliver to the unscreened side. And I think they just got their alcohol license too. So, uh, you know, party on, <laughs> just not party too much. Um, one of the things we've been talking about is the need to replace that main runway. Uh, and that will be something that uh, we'll continue to talk about. Uh, the current, the, the big issue that's been a, a little bit controversy is the current runway width is 150 feet. And even though the FAA said early in the process that, yeah, that's no problem, we'll replace that. Then they later at the end of the process said, no, we're only gonna do 100 feet because you don't have enough uh, big airplane activity to warrant us participating in 150 feet. So. That's kind of disappointing because, you know, I think their threshold for us being able to do that is like 500 of those big planes landing a year. Uh, and I think we're, you know, over half of that, maybe around 300 a year. Uh, but that's the same price as two a year. So, you know, you'd think there'd be a little happy medium there, but we'll continue to negotiate. Uh, the critical thing is that we need to replace it to a full 150 feet. The main reason we need to do that 
is because it's critical to Fort Riley that we be, we're able to meet their needs for whatever mission they have. If we don't, then the next Breck round, they're gonna see that as uh, not having the military value that they currently have. So that would be a big blow uh, in that scoring that they've lost diminished capacity to be able to do that. And so uh, we've enjoyed landing, we can land four C-17s uh, and accommodate them on the field. We'll have to uh, really scrunch the commercial folks over a little to do that. And we probably wouldn't do that. We've never had that at any one time, but uh, they did help us build a military ramp uh, at that facility, which goes for dual use, especially on a Texas football game. There's a lot of planes on that airport during the Texas football game here, uh, as well as a lot of buses flying the sports charter uh, in for that game. So, uh, but we can load helicopters. You can get two helicopters on that C-17 and we've, flown them to theater in Afghanistan and, and armored equipment to Iraq. And so it, it can meet, uh, we can fly troops to training or wherever they need to go. So it's a critical piece. And the sports charters are, are critical for K-State to be able to bring our teams in and out of here as well as visiting teams. So it's not a matter of if we're gonna build it to 150, it's how we're gonna be able to do that. And, and we'll continue to work. It's something that's, we got some time to do it probably in the 22, would be around the earliest 2022 before we needed to do that. Aggieville, you're gonna hear a lot of discussion about Aggieville. Actually, the commission's talking about Aggieville uh, this evening. And one of the stimulus for doing some things in Aggieville with the TIF obviously was the, the new courtyard by Marriott that's uh, under construction. This is just a, an illustration of some of the things we're working on. So 12th Street in front of the hotel, we have to, uh, replace a, run a new water line so that they have better fire flow capacity and they're, they're paying uh, for that and we're gonna upsize it and then extend it. So while we have the street tore up to be able to do that, because it goes back tomorrow, uh, we're gonna have a discussion tonight about how we'd like to put that street back. And we just as well uh, look at the streetscape designs to be able to do that. So in addition, the, the Laramie Street and 14th Street and Bluemont will have some streetscape uh, treatments as well. This is a little more detail on 12th Street. You might remember in the visioning, uh, there was a lot of support for 12th Street uh, to be kind of a, a pedestrian mall, especially between Morrow and Laramie. Well, this kind of envisions extending that a little bit potentially at times into that other half block uh, on 12th Street to the, towards Bluemont, to the alley. So that'll be the discussion this evening. And that's just uh, some depictions of some of the street finishings and outdoor dining opportunities. Uh, in order to do that, you gotta take up a little bit of parking in order for that to happen. Uh, but the other critical component is to uh, create more parking density uh, for the community. So the parking structure at, at uh, Manhattan and Laramie, uh, there on the city lot is what uh, this is depicting. And then also the ability to put some uh, retail and other space uh, on the front of that to, to make it more usable space. And then finally, kind of some drawings. So you're gonna hear a lot about Aggieville. Uh, tonight really is focusing on 12th Street. Later in March, uh, I think around March 24th, uh, there was a work session on the parking structure itself and some of those uh, components as well. And the parking management plan will be a big component of that uh, as well. Something I know uh, a lot of people are excited about, Gail and I were talking. Uh, uh, Gail and some of her cohorts uh, certainly led the effort for uh, 
Um, the field house project, which was looking at uh, the need to put more indoor recreation space. Our community's uh, lacking a lot of indoor recreation space. And so uh, the commission or the, the public passed a quarter cent sales tax or renewed a quarter cent sales tax to, to be able to do that. Uh, the zoo's gonna get a, a portion of the old cash that was available for Expedition Asia. They're working on that. The bids came a little bit high on that one. So they're negotiating with the contractor on that particular. And then once the rec centers, uh, they'll start construction this year um, and then uh, be done probably next spring. And then uh, once those done, we'll uh, look at doing uh, ball field improvements and tennis court improvements uh, uh, out at Seco, excuse me, as well as uh, uh, trail improvements. So here's just some shots of uh, some of the latest drawings of the middle school rec centers. Uh, they're designed to uh, accommodate school. Those are essentially four courts on each of them. So the, the, during the school, the, the two courts next to the school can be isolated and secure. And then the other two courts and the rest of the uh, facilities and the above walkways uh, would be available for, for users. So uh, we're excited about, uh, you'll hear a lot about the programming of that and different aspects of that as uh, uh, we work towards uh, those constructions. And just some shots of uh, being able to uh, uh, put some temporary indoor turf down on some of those courts. Uh, all of them will have the drop screen so you can isolate the courts if you need to and have uh, batting practice and soccer practice and uh, all kinds of things. There'll be some community rooms uh, available in those as well. And then uh, each year we're looking at uh, uh, improvements to the, the trail system. Uh, the Douglas Community Center has been awarded, so we're looking forward to, to that getting started. It wasn't part of the bond issue. We thought that we had it funded through CDBG. That didn't happen. And so uh, uh, we did get favorable bids and we're proceeding with it uh, as planned. North Campus Corridor, you've heard us talk a lot, a lot about it. Uh, we've been talking about it since 2013. Uh, it's a bold vision. Uh, it's uh, the, the post NBAF vision, but it's also the future of K-State uh, as we move forward together to really uh, channel our strengths uh, at K-State in, in food safety, agriculture, uh, the different biosciences uh, for the community. Uh, we're looking forward uh, to doing several things up there. Uh, this year, uh, we're anticipate about 5,000 jobs to be created in this corridor uh, by 2035 uh, with a $250 million annual payroll. Uh, some of that's already started through some of the investments that occurred. Obviously, NBAF has hired uh, uh, by, just over 100 uh, last year. They're gonna hire another 100 this year, roughly. So they'll be at 200 and they'll take uh, possession of the facility at the end of the year. So uh, a lot of activity that's uh, occurring along that. This is uh, some of the depiction by the K-State Foundation of development and, and the time spans for, for future development. Uh, one of the things the commission will be looking at is we do have a KDOT grant for $4.2 million to straighten the curve. You all know where I'm talking about, straighten the curve there between uh, North Manhattan and Denison. So uh, that uh, the old cattle overpass that used to be connected to the purebred beef needs to come out because that's what's limited our ability to expand that, that corridor already. So it'll be a, a design project uh, later this year and then it'll be a construction project uh, in 2021. 
just kind of shows you some of the developments that's occurring. The, the, the bold purple tops are things that have already happened. A lot of activity over at the K-State Research Park, uh, the Department of Agriculture, Kansas Department of Agriculture lab building uh, is uh, nearing completion and that'll have uh, about 20 jobs. There's about 200 in the Kansas Department of Agriculture main building. Uh, look forward to uh, additional work happening in the research park, building out the interior roadways, connecting a new connection at the south end of the park to Baker's Way there across from AIB. You might notice that if you're traveling North Manhattan, you can kind of see where that future connection might be. And then also the, uh, the office park uh, where the foundation's headquarters is, as well as uh, 1880. There's been uh, great activity and growth uh, in that particular aspect of things. So. Uh, some great things to come in the future. K-State Athletics, what can we say? It's, it's a, a bold plan and they've really made some lot, some, some incredible initiatives. Uh, two $10 million improvements at the soccer stadium and also the baseball facility. So those are great improvements. Uh, uh, we've let contracts and if you've been down that uh, roadway on college, you've noticed the, all those overhead power lines are gone. Uh, so it'll get uh, uh, some big streetscape improvements uh, that'll occur there this year. And then uh, the big project for the athletic department that'll get started this year is the South Stadium project. Uh, it's a $29 million facility to uh, uh, renovate and expand that has some Bramlage improvements. It's got stadium improvements. So uh, we're excited to, uh, about just their whole plan to, to make that an incredible intercollegiate athletic experience uh, campus. The commission has awarded the Kimball and College Avenue intersection project just in December. So that's something that uh, uh, you'll be dodging cones and barricades for uh, for a while uh, over the course of this year. And uh, hopefully we can get things structured and scheduled so to be uh, as least impassive and the weather will cooperate. But it is a high accident interchange. That's kind of what this is depicting uh, well over 30 uh, accidents, three fatalities uh, over the course of the last uh, five to seven years in, in that particular area. So the way I've kind of described Kimball Avenue, uh, I've been around a while, that could be good or bad, but uh, you know, it wasn't that long ago when Denison and Kimball was a four-way stop. How many of you remember that? Okay, I'm not, I don't feel so old now. <laughs> so, Obviously, what we've done is we've taken an old rural section roadway because it used to be in the county until uh, 95 is when we annexed it into the city and started uh, using some city university puns, funds to uh, put some traffic signals at some of the intersections. So, uh, you know, we haven't done any modernization on there. We do have a, a nice trail that we got some grant funds for. So the, the whole goal here is to really uh, transform that corridor into a modern, intermodal communication uh, transportation uh, component that uh, we want to feature uh, our research and corporate partnerships that K-State develops and, and lure and keep uh, talented students and researchers and faculty and athletes uh, to come to K-State. And so uh, this is our first project that uh, shows you some of the improvements to Kimball itself uh, double turn lanes, medians, longer turn lanes, uh, better coordination, and then a significant uh, facelift that makes you want to be there and feel like you're welcome 
uh, not just something to drive by and be careful that you don't brush up against something. So uh, some really great improvements in the lower right there. That's a depiction looking north on college there at the soccer stadium. So it'd be the south end of the soccer stadium. Above that, you get to the, to the baseball stadium. Uh, just a little bit after the baseball stadium is a pullout for uh, buses and other drop-off areas. And then the uh, veneer gate uh, there just across from the hospital. That's how the intersection will look when it's done at Kimball and College. So welcoming gateway, uh, wider sidewalks, landscaping, lighting, uh, nice medians uh, that are really a welcoming approach and, and sets the mood for uh, that full corridor. And uh, we're really excited about uh, how it's going to, to help and transform that entire corridor. So how are we gonna do that? Jason and I borrowed a few of your slides from the commission meeting back in December. And so part of that's uh, to enhance our economic prosperity. And obviously one of the things that, that we've done a lot uh, over the years is uh, we've done a lot of partnering together. And uh, that's what I think has made this, this community so special that we've been able to work together to, to get things done. And certainly uh, uh, that's something we need to do on the economic, continue to do on the economic development front. And we look forward to, to working with the chamber and other entities, the K-State, uh, to be able to, to do that. And funding the plan, the commission approved additional funding for the, the chamber to be able to implement the, a lot of these initiatives. And so we're excited to be able to work with them. Uh, one of the things you'll hear some discussion on this year in order to keep that going, the current half cent sales tax for economic development expires in 2022. We think it's a great opportunity uh, this year in a, in a full blown general election uh, to be able to get folks to weigh in on that. One of the things we're talking about, uh, should that be a, a Riley County sales tax like it's been for the last two decades or should it be a citywide sales tax? If it's a citywide sales tax, we'll get about another million and a half dollars. Uh, if it, everything goes away, uh, the money that's current, the third of the money that's currently going to property tax reduction and debt service won't be there. So there's, there's a lot of healthy discussion we need to have about why we need those funds to continue uh, the work that's going on. And that'll be a, a big key component for us uh, uh, in the future. And uh, I just uh, want to take this opportunity to thank again, each and every one of you for all that you do to help keep this community moving along and uh, I feel fortunate to uh, having been able to help steer the wheel a little bit. So thanks again, and I'd be uh, happy to take some questions if you have some. Jason. Sure, and thanks for, for that. The commission did have a work session on the, the housing study, and uh, that would be part of the reason for doing that is to, you know, what are the, uh, the aspects that are, are impacting some of those things? Some of it could be just supply, uh, potentially. Certainly, uh, uh, that was the issue. If you remember the big links impact for multifamily, obviously we've got lower enrollment, so there's some 
issues with that. Single family, keep in mind that's just within the city limits. Uh, obviously the regional numbers would impact that. Uh, I wanna say that it's around 80 maybe over in the Blue Township area for Pottawatomie County. So, you know, as many single family homes or more actually occurring there. So uh, that'll help gauge a lot of that. And uh, commission will have uh, uh, the request for qualifications in front of them um, next week uh, to consider moving forward with that housing study. You know, one of the things, there's a lot of different facets about housing that that study wants to look at. And uh, uh, whether it's suitable, suitable is kind of a new word instead of just using affordable, it, you know, suitable for who? Uh, is it suitable for a young professional? Uh, suitable for retiree? Uh, so that'll be a phrase that you'll see a lot of. Topeka's been doing one, they're a little further along. Lawrence did one recently. Uh, so I think we've got some parameters to, to kind of measure by, but we have our own kind of unique uh, characteristics uh, and certainly uh, uh, housing and whether it's rent or buy. Uh, one of the things in our market, because we have such a transient population with uh, Fort Riley and K-State is uh, things turn over a lot more uh, in this community. So there's kind of some built-in inflation from that factor. So uh, this housing study will look comprehensively at, at a number of these issues and, and it's a, certainly meant to be a very open process. So uh, folks in this room, I'm sure there's many that deal with that on a regular basis and have uh, uh, lots of ideas about uh, why something may be a certain way. So. That's definitely one that I should have had on the list. Yes. Is it my understanding from some of the things that you're planning that the Aggieville area, where some of us own businesses, will have a better parking situation? Because right now it's really bad. Yes. So obviously, uh, we lost a, a lot of about, uh, I think there's about 45 stalls in the lot by the Starbucks, uh, and that's that's put a little crinch on things. But part of the, the effort with the new parking structure uh, is to help create that mechanism to increase our parking availability uh, in Aggieville, in the area, and then really come up with a, a comprehensive parking management plan. And, and there, there's gonna be lots of opportunity for participation from the community about what that should be. Um, you know, obviously, the, the initial plan is to charge a fee to park there. Uh, it's close to the university. There's a lot of folks that park in Aggieville uh, and the park, city park, because uh, they don't want to buy a parking permit to, to be on campus. So uh, obviously we have improvements to pay for. That's another reason to, to start charging, but we want to look at a, a friendly parking component uh, that uh, works with businesses uh, to be able to do that. Uh, some folks have went on the chamber trip to Lincoln, uh, and I was stunned when I found out that they're parking. I think they have about 60 parking structures in downtown Lincoln and uh, very unique different management policies for uh, incentives for employee parking areas and, and different aspects for how that parking management can fluctuate. Um, so yes is the answer. Other questions? All right, thank you very much, appreciate it. Thank you so much, Ron. Um, you know, I've been here almost a year now, and it's amazing 
there were things in that presentation that I had never heard before. So it was very detailed, including, um, you know, you, you always learn things. You were talking about the airport and the idea that if we shrink the runway, that there may be less Texas Longhorn fans come to town. But despite that, I think we should be for keeping it at 150. So um, uh, no, I hear all the groans back there. I don't want to hear that. Um, again, thank you all for coming today. It was a great opportunity again to hear what's going on in the city. Uh, as your chamber, we would like to hear from you. So let us know. All, most of these issues, if not all, are on our agenda and we are working on them. We have, for those that don't know, we have a committee that's part of the chamber called the Business Advocacy Committee. It's chaired by Lucy Williams, who's in the front. Um, we might just have, I think there's four or five BAC members here today, maybe Stan. I know everybody's like, oh, wait, what? But, but if you've got thoughts about what's going on, let me know, let one of the committee members know. Uh, they meet twice a month. They're very committed to you and to this chamber and making sure that we're on top of as many issues as we can. Of course, obviously the board and the executive committee uh, are engaged in that as well. But we need to hear from you. If we don't hear from you, then it's, then it's hard for us to represent your interests. So please let us know. Again, thank you to all of our sponsors, uh, with, again, without whom this wouldn't happen. Thank you all for being here and we are going to be dismissed. <laughs>